It's August the 2nd, 2014. This is 508 a show about Worcester. I'm Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Malikin. I'm sorry, I was waiting for an introduction. I, I don't know what to do at that point unless you introduce me. How are you? I'm okay. This is a show about Worcester. We don't have any guests on the show today. It's just another show Brendan and I co-hosting with ourselves. We're Today we're in the Winslow Street Park here at Pleasant Street and Winslow Street in Worcester. A bench securely fastened to terra firma, Mike. This is something new for us. This is not like last week's seasickness <laughs> episode. Today we're going to talk about the internet and we're going to talk about crosswalks. We're going to raise wa- raise awareness of the internet. Hmm. Do people need to know about this stuff. And raise awareness of uh, pedestrian activity. We're just hanging out here in the park yeah. today, playing soccer. Um, the main thing we're going to talk about today is municipal, probably is, is municipal broadband. Maybe we'll get onto a big rant about crosswalk flags. Um, I want to talk about a couple of things before that, though. Just just hit some headlines. I don't know if you saw this, Brendan, but I want to. I just want to highlight this. It's probably the biggest news of July 2014. Uh, this is on July the 22nd. The Worcester Emergency Managed Department, Worcester Emergency Management Department, posted this to their Facebook page. Height, pointy shape, and isolation are the dominant factors controlling where lightning will strike. The presence of metal makes no difference. Do you hear that, Brendan? The presence of metal makes no difference? I just want to repeat this one more time. Read that again for this me. Is, I'm not sure this I'm following this. The municipality of Worcester, on their official municipal emergency management Facebook page, saying the presence of metal makes no difference. In regards to what, though? I missed the beginning. Lightning. I heard Light, about lightning. lightning. Oh, okay. But I just feel like it's a, I feel like it's an offensive thing to say in any situation. Because <laughs> metal, this is like this is the metal mecca, Worcester, Massachusetts. This is, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. That's what you get. <clears throat> I haven't heard. I mean, I'm not saying people need to be fired over this. Obviously, people don't need to be fired. Don't get me wrong. But people were offended. I think people should have an offsite. They should. Have, what do they call that? <laughs> Professional Development Day. <laughs> Take the emergency management department to a show, Motorhead show at the Palladium. This is a uh, sensitivity yeah. training. I was gonna say sensitivity training is in order. Um, probably even an ethics training. There's gonna, there's gonna be some, <laughs> some sort of yeah. There's malfeasance at hand. Anyway, that was a dumb thing that was on the internet this week, that this month. That was very ma- made me very happy. Another thing that's made me very happy is the return of Bizarro Luke's to Twitter. Really? Have you, did you know this? No, I, don't, I killed Luke. my Twitter account. <clears throat> Bizarro Luke's is back. This is a long-standing uh, Twitter account parodying Constantine Luke's Worcester City Councilor. Connie did not was not a fan of his Twitter account. Mm. I always thought it was cool. Like I always would honestly feel if somebody posted a Twitter account parodying me that was that funny and good-natured, mm-hmm. I would be in support of it. Yes. Because it would be very flattering. It was very funny. The Bizarre Loose is back, posting again. I don't know what's going on. There's about a six, nine-month break I think break she maybe there. felt it was uh, considered a competition. Connie did. Yeah. Because of her... She had to up her game. Her insane quips about the city. Well, yeah. I mean, she just didn't want anyone moving in, into her territory. She's kind of... Had, she's cornered the market in, in terms of humor on the, uh, the council. Uh, <laughs> that's always been her angle. I don't she's think pretty she wants, close to... Wants anyone to muscle in on that territory. Corners. Well... Uh, do you want to talk about sidewalks first, or do you want to talk about? Uh, you want to talk about, about broad, you, you want to talk about broadbands first? <laughs> we'll talk about whatever makes you People happy. People are running around this parking lot. That's okay. It's somewhere in the city. This is what's supposed to happen. This is this is like the Seventh Day Adventist right here, and it's a Saturday night because yep. people are going to church. It's there. pretty cool. Did you see? Did you see this thing? Speaking of speaking of Connie Luke's Wizard City Council, did you just did you see this thing about crosswalk flags? No. What are we doing? Oh, this is so good. So this is a this is an item mm-hmm. that she brought up on a recent council agenda, asking 
the city to tr consider doing a pilot program of a pedestrian safety program starting it in Webster Square in Worcester okay. based on the successful pedestrian safety programs they do in Austin, Salt Lake City. I'm trying to remember what other cities she mentioned, but there's many other cities that are doing this. Kirkland, Washington okay. near Seattle has this. This is a thing. I, there's videos of this on the internet people can find out. Mm -hmm. At a crosswalk, there's two there's two tubes like attached to the light poles on each side of the crosswalk or whatever pole. Okay. Each of the tubes has these orange flags, mm -hmm. a little stick, that has like a little stripe of like uh, uh, reflective material on the orange flag. It okay. might have some text, maybe about three or four on one side, three or four on the other side. The idea is you're gonna cross the street, it's busy to crosswalk, you grab this flag, you have this orange flag crossing guard style as you go across the street, you put it in the other little uh, tube at the other side, the other little storage tube. I don't want to knock on Councillor Lutz, but does she really think that those flags are going to last more than a week before they're uh, in people's gardens and whatnot around the, the city or, well, or this attached is a to good, the, top of the roof of uh, frat houses? This is, a question, this is a good question. I mean, people have done this, I think it's maybe going on a decade now in some yeah. of these cities. So it is a thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, in Salt Lake City, I know they, the ones near the schools are run by the city and the other, a lot of the other ones are sponsored by yeah. a local business or something. I don't think there's like a logo on the flag or anything. Um, if you sponsor one in your neighborhood, though, when the flags get stolen, I think you pay the city 50 cents a flag to replace the flags. There's a group in Seattle who... So I get to pay, I actually get to put a deposit on my ability to cross the street and use the flag? Not, not you, oh, the sponsor. Oh. The sponsor. Oh, okay. So, for example, in this neighborhood, maybe the Pickle Barrel, theoretically, would yeah. sponsor this. And every, you know, every whatever, the city's, maybe the emergency management department, newly, newly, newly rocking... Emergency Management Department. Can I, a serious question. Do, do you, what I mean, you walk you? a lot. Uh, you I do. walk a lot in the city. Do, do, do you really find, like, walking to be a challenge in the city? Walking in the city is only a challenge at busy streets and busy intersections mm -hmm. where, because there's, and I'll tell you this, there's no culture of stopping for the crosswalk, or there's yeah. very little. Like, sometimes you get to, like, a four-lane street, like Park Avenue, busy section, you get on the crosswalk, and, like, one of the lanes will stop, and the other three lanes will still be going by at high speed. And you're just sort of, like, why are you, like, I appreciate it, dude, but like honestly, you're just clogging up a lane for nothing. Yeah. I'm just gonna have to run across like a rabbit. Obviously, the alt the you know the other thing that goes on is especially on streets like Main Street and Pleasant Street, because mm -hmm. you got a bunch of people just running across the street all day and night. Some of them walking across the street very slowly in traffic yep. all day and night. There are cities. I've certainly been to cities. I'm remembering cities, particularly in Arizona, that I've been to, that when you get to a crosswalk, people just stop. People yeah. just stop. Like this is the thing to do. But I think it's a question of building a culture around that. No, I agree with you completely. That's why I ask. Cause I, so I, I walk more in Boston than I walk in Worcester. Yeah. And I find that walking in Worcester is terrifying only because of my experience walking in Boston where they've figured it out. It's just like Manhattan at this point. And it wasn't always that way. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, walking in Boston was taking your lives in your own hands. But uh, especially downtown Boston, uh, there's been a culture shift. And either you're at an intersection that has the little, you know, white person or orange person telling you to either walk or not walk uh, which is interesting because Boston's they, they run a lot faster than ours do here they cycle through quicker mm -hmm. even in wider uh, you know four-lane streets uh, so traffic gets moving quicker and people pile up and you know they wait knowing that the opportunity is going to come that opportunity comes more frequently uh, and doesn't uh, slow down traffic as often as a result of them cycling so quickly and then on the side streets that don't have any signal for pedestrians Everyone, including cabs, just knows to stop. It's 
only when you run into somebody who's from out of town that you ever get somebody even coming close to making contact with a pedestrian. And you usually have an entire crowd of people getting ready to kick somebody's uh, you know, side mirror off their car if they dare come within five feet of a pedestrian in the sidewalk. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. people scream at motorists if, if they don't come to a complete stop, you know, on a right-hand turn or something onto a side street. Walking myself in Tannock Square, like, I find it actually terrifying now because you have no idea what people are going to do. They look at somebody who's not in a car, whether you're on a bicycle or you know following laws uh, on a bicycle or walking, they look at you like you're an alien. Like, right. what are you doing not inside? How could you possibly exist outside of your car as if well, like you, there's no oxygen out here right. or something like that? And, you know, if you bike in the city for any number of time, you're going to have plenty of people in cars yell at you to get your bike on the sidewalk where it belongs, right. which is obviously not where it Ridiculous belongs. Ridiculous if you're over the age of 12, I think um, it is. Yeah. And certainly legally, I think you're pretty much... A lot of Worcester, it's a bad idea have your bike on the sidewalk whether it's and a lot of times it's probably illegal to have your bike on the sidewalk yeah you know i had that's i had, what I'm saying. It's a, it's I had an experience cool. i had an experience the other morning um on uh, lincoln street i was walking down lincoln street and i was going to cross the street and there's like a truck there's like nothing coming one way there's a truck coming the other way but i'm like i got plenty of time so i'm, I'm so i'm not even going to run it i'm just going to walk across the mm -hmm. so i'm walking across the crosswalk and this truck doesn't slow down at all and finally the stop truck basically i'm like as it's coming closer i'm like what's going on and finally i kind of run across but the truck driver kind of freaks out a little bit and like screeches to a halt in the middle of lincoln yeah. street and like the passenger of the truck is like screaming at me and screaming at me about what an idiot I am. And I, of course, being a pedantic jackass, I'm trying to say like calmly, like, I hear what you're saying, but like you, you, you need to in the future stop for people to crosswalk. And he's like, it's like, no, no, no. So I think that that's part of it too, is that yeah. like, we don't have a cultural stopping at the crosswalk. People probably in general have no idea that if there's a pedestrian trying to use a crosswalk, you have to stop them. Honestly, I would like to see a lot more crosswalks because yeah. one one big one source of stress for me as a pedestrian is if I'm going to do something like crossing Park Avenue at one of the four-way stops yeah. and it's busy and there's probably like honestly there are frequently are two or three pedestrians who went across at the same time but it's just sort of like why are we why why are we stop well, it's a four-way light why are we stopping like dozens of people's cars for Two minutes or whatever, mm -hmm. in order for me to cross the street. Here. Yeah. Like, if if there was a cross, you know, there's a crosswalks nearby on Park and on Chandler. If I could stop, if I could go to those crosswalks where it's a lot less busy and walk across, and people would slow down, and we could all just stop our cars for five seconds while I run across the street. I think I feel like everybody wins. Though. That's actually one of the differences I notice in Boston too, and I think they're starting to change it more in Worcester. Is that so? If you're at a four-way that is a major intersection in all directions that would require a signal uh, mm -hmm. for people to cross, the signal actually turns to the white person walking, letting you cross from Orange. Um, the man. Only the, he's not a man. white person. He's, not he's not just a white he's guy. Just a, a, it's not a racial statement. It's the, the light is actually white. So it goes from orange to white to tell you to cross. Uh, only for the straightaway, right? So if you're right. making a left or a right-hand turn, the pedestrians still have the signal to cross at that point, and you just have to keep your eyes on them. But right. that's also the thing that the city does, where every like even a, a side street like Winslow Street here would actually have a crosswalk on Winslow. Which isn't, it just seems like a no-brainer, right? Like, when you resurface this road, there's going to be some sort of, you know, uh, painting of lines or something on the street. <laughs> Put a damn crosswalk in, right? I mean, it, it just makes sense. And I think that's one of the places that we miss out, too, is that we don't do a good job of training motorists in Worcester that every intersection that connects two sidewalks is inherently pedestrian territory, right? Like yes. that, it's, they that's don't just, the other thing. Is that right? Is that you don't, don't have transport to, from you, one right. side to the other? Well, and that, and that you can all, I think you believe you can also, I don't know, what... I, I got I got another crosswalk. I have an actual crosswalk anecdote here. It's actual crosswalk news I want to bring up. Oh. This is another thing. 
which we posted posted to the internet. Um, so there's been these crosswalk stings that have been going on yeah. for years now in Worcester. Every once in a while, a city council comes up and says, let's have crosswalk stings, where mm-hmm. they have a plainclothes police person, as I understand it, you know, standing at the crosswalk, and everybody who blows through a concealed police car comes out and, like, busts you and gives you a ticket for running, running the crosswalk when you should have stopped. Um, and people don't like this. Like, there was a citizen petition a couple of months ago for in front of the city council signed by, I think, multiple people complaining about the one that they were doing on Lancaster Street at Dix Street, sort of near the art museum. Yeah. And they were just like, they wrote a whole letter out. They were like, this is unfair. This is not, I mean, and you can imagine, like, nobody, res- I mean, not. I shouldn't say nobody. Plenty of people stop for people in a crosswalk, but most people don't. 90% mm-hmm. of people, it's not even on their radar that it's, I think it's just a sense of, like, this is a good place where you could try to cross the street and not, like, I'm obligated to let you cross the street. But, yeah. like, Go for it, pedestrian. If you can make it across in time, go for it. That's people's sense yeah. of what is just and what the law is. So I'm sure people get pissed off if they're driving down the street and suddenly the cop is stopping them for like nothing. And not even realizing that they did something wrong, right? Like you don't even right. know what to apologize for. It's not like you're doing 90 on the highway. He just right. You're like, this is how you find out that this is a law by getting a ticket for it. Which then calls into question how you got your license in the first place. But well, that's a whole who, know, who knows? I mean, you you get that one question wrong and you can still pass your <laughs> test. You don't have to get 100 percent of all every traffic law. Sure. So anyway, on Tuesday, I think it was, uh, two friends of mine were driving, and they were at Chandler and Winslow Street. And they were the recipients of a, of a fender bender. And immediately these police came out of nowhere and like wrote up the incident report of the fender bender. And they were like, what's going on? And they look around and they realize that there was a crosswalk sting going on at, um, at uh, Chandler and, uh, not Winslow Street, Chandler and, uh, I'll remember it in a second. It starts with a W, it's kind of closer into downtown street. Um, and uh, the amazing thing was there's a guy standing there holding a sign, a crappily, hastily made sign that says, it's a crosswalk trap, which kind of sounds <laughs> like, it kind of sounds like, it kind of sounds like a Star Wars reference, yeah. but I think he was, li- I think my, they didn't talk to this guy. I ran, they drove to my house from there because I don't live mm-hmm. very far from there. And immediately, as soon as I heard about this, I was like, what are you talking about? And then I walked down there, and it was already gone. Like, I think that the, the, them dealing with this little minor accident and whatever and talking about it and blah, 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 the, the sting and everything had evaporated by that. Sure. But I pretty sure, I, I bet you that this is a person who's an aggrieved person who got in a ticket yeah. and decided to take it into their own well, hands. We've to talked about know. this before, too, and I, I simultaneously love those stings and despise them at the same time because they only fix half of the problem, right? Like, that's actually, I yeah. think, how you start, uh, effectively start a culture shift, making at least people aware that... Uh, this is happening. I would probably take it a step further, though, and say, or take a step back and say, you probably don't give somebody a full fine uh, for uh, that kind of violation. If, if the campaign is actually about awareness, then hitting people with a huge fine is probably not the right way to go. Like, I, I should say I was talking. I think that I was. How do I know this? I believe that I was talking to somebody who got a ticket for this, and he was like, "I'm not even going to show up. Like they're not. Like they're not. Like they're not on the court side enforcing these at all." Okay. Well, I mean, just the idea being that, again, talking about Boston, I don't mean to make all these comparisons, but as Boston is, has, over the last 10 years, seen a huge uptick in cycling mm-hmm. uh, and actually been actively promoting cycling as a form of uh, transportation, Boston and all the adjacent communities have been doing things like uh, stops on the side of the road with, where police will be pulling people over for running a, a red light on a bike. And they essentially make them think that they're going to get a ticket, go through all the motions, asking for ID and whatnot, and then essentially give them a free helmet for, you know, at least, the, or like the 
the, the ticket will be a voucher for like safety gear or something like that. It, it's yeah. very much like an informational thing. The idea is like we don't want you to die uh, or, or be involved with killing somebody, but we're not really interested in jamming you up with a $200 fine. Right. The other problem though is that, and the thing that I, th this is what I think Worcester really misses is that, is that there's no education on the pedestrian side as well. Like there are laws about being a pedestrian just like there are laws uh, about being a driver. And I think that's part of what we miss. Like it's not uncommon in the city to see people just randomly walking out into the middle of the street, meandering about as if everything is a crosswalk. Yes. And I mean, they're, or, they're all, or honestly, actively being a jerk and walk standing in the front of traffic. We can slow this all the time. against light, even if you're in a crosswalk against lights that actually are signaled and, yes. and whatnot for pedestrians. And I think one of the bigger problems is that in Massachusetts, last time I looked, anyways, the jaywalking fine was a buck. And it's like, how can you even justify law enforcement getting involved to uh, enforce? laws that have a monetary or penalty of a dollar, right? I mean, right. It, it's a complete waste of a police officer's time to even get out of the car. I don't know that, you know, uh, flags on the side of the road, it seems like it's it, it's a nice idea, but it skirts around the idea that we actually have a beautiful system of laws in Massachusetts involving pedestrians, cars, bicycles, just about anything that horses, I mean, goats, I think, are probably built into road laws at this point. Anything that could find itself on a roadway, there's a law attached to it, and they're shockingly well fleshed out if you actually sit down and read them. They're not very confusing, they make a lot of sense, and they're extremely fair, but the pedestrian side doesn't really get any attention at all. And we have just as many, for, for every jerk that doesn't stop at a crosswalk, like you said, there are just as many people who are just meandering about the middle of the street, you know, acting as though they own the entire road. There are joggers who, you know, because, I don't know, sidewalks hurt their ankles, uh, so they run in the street against traffic. And that's kind of off-putting if you're a driver as well, too. And it, it gives pedestrians a bad name overall. It's, you go to Boston, you go to Manhattan, and you've got these beautiful large cities that have figured out, like, this, this sort of... Uh, Give and take social between. contract of how are you supposed <laughs> to walk right. it's not hard right i mean we're all trying to get someplace we all think our wherever we're trying to get is the most important thing in the world so we're going to work on this together and sometimes it means you have to stop and then you get to go again so it's not that big of a deal give and take give I, and take as it were it's a give and take i can see that they install flags intersections around the city the flags will all get stolen uh, th then they we're going to install cameras to protect the flags. The cameras will probably get broken, and the flags will keep getting stolen. Eventually, we're just going to have police officers handing the flags to people, and then we're going to wonder why we just don't have cops at every intersection holding your hand as you walk across the street. It's not that complicated, That's right? Service. That's we actually just service. need to have an education uh, campaign to explain to people that we've had laws in existence that cover all this stuff that are older than all of us who are alive right now, yes. and we just got to figure out how to work with them in a meaningful way. How do we enforce the laws in a way that we change that sense of how things, what, of what is fair and what is just, and <laughs> how are we going to give it? Where is Batman when we need him? We Brennan, need him most. I want to, you know, this is going to problem. I feel like Batman couldn't couldn't deal with. Oh, that reminds me of the thing about the mimes. Man, I can't believe I... It's too late in the show to bring up the thing about the mimes. We've talked about How this before. How do you before. leave someone hanging with mimes? Ne next week. Next week. This is very super relevant. Brazilian mimes. Um, boy, or maybe it's Colombian. Um, let's talk about municipal broadband. Sure. Brendan, we have, we have a... We have a, a, a storm is coming. A storm is coming. <laughs> Well, it, it, this is kind of there's some interesting stuff happening that I didn't even realize this was taking place uh, until a Telegram article the other day talking about um, how Comcast was there's going to be a so Comcast has been in the middle of a merger with Time Warner Cable for some time now and it's it's been a big national story because it's become the largest lobbying organ, uh, operation in the history of ever really to uh, push the federal government to approve this. Um, proposed merger between uh, Comcast and Time Warner Cable, which will mean, eventually mean that Comcast owns about 70%, if not more, of the overall uh, cable internet uh, market share nationwide. Okay. Part of that is going to involve customer swaps. 
So currently, if you look at a map of uh, cable internet uh, providers in Massachusetts, it's essentially all Comcast with a little sliver of Time Warner over in far western Mass, and that right on the New York border. And then uh, South Central and South Central uh, Massachusetts is all Charter. Charter is that's, essentially that's us. That's us. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and if you so if you I mean if you're watching this show, it's very likely either through Charter Cable or yeah. Charter Cable Internet. Yeah, and so the idea is that if this merger does go through, and it's still uh, you know in front of the FCC uh, and various other federal entities to approve that, which they probably they, they seem likely to, there's actually going to be some customer swaps that take place where Charter is not necessarily going to get absorbed by Comcast, but they're just going to get the heck out of Dodge, so Comcast can just own the entire region. And for all the customers they give up in, say, Central and South Central Massachusetts, they'll get equal number of customers in the Southwest, I believe it is, and it'll kind of just put them in a territory where they're a little bit stronger, and then Comcast will have a unified region up here. The problem is that Comcast is a terrible entity, uh, and I'm not just saying that because, like, I've got a, a bone to pick with Comcast. It's year after year they're actually voted the worst company in America by Americans from a consumer perspective. They're not really highly regarded. Uh, they, they tend to be one of the bigger uh, threats to things like net neutrality and just general principles of awesomeness on the Internet. And, these, and this is probably in large part because these cable companies tend to have monopolies. Well, they're regional monopolies. The word monopoly probably doesn't really fit because we almost invite them in through weird sort of contractual agreements and then uh, regulatory processes that uh, put them into an area, but at the same time don't leave enough customers that would be worth dicing up, right? So like Worcester has around 40,000 uh, cable internet uh, potential customers, right. households. How are you going to dice that up in a way that's actually going to make it meaningful to come in and, do, and compete? So that, they'll say that they don't have a monopoly, they just don't have any competition. It's. I mean, it, it's. Don't they in Worcester though? Don't they literally have a monopoly that the city like signs does a contract with them and and, and gives them the. We have a contract, but be, because we deregulated a lot of these services years ago, it's only a contract in the sense that uh, the city could kind of be put in a position of power to mandate certain things that we don't actually go so far as to mandate price controls and what have you, um, and not really much comes of it. So it, it's not a monopoly in the, in the truest sense of the word, word and it's probably on the municipal, municipal side not really a meaningful contract in, in the true sense of the word. The only reason I'm talking about this is that it could be a really good opportunity for Worcester to start thinking about something along the lines of a municipal, at least internet, uh, service to, to compete, uh, something that is is happening in other cities. Chattanooga, Tennessee, probably the best example of a municipal um, fiber project, a gigabit fiber project that's similar to what Google Fiber uh, is starting to roll out in a lot of cities. But it's something that we could actually do ourselves uh, and then not have terrible service. And that's the key, right? At the end of the day, it's not so much just about uh, is Charter better or worse than Comcast or is Comcast a better deal than Charter is. It's that at the end of the day, the United States of America every year is sliding further and further behind. Remember, we're the ones who invented the internet. Like People like Vin Cerf and whatnot really need to be really sad at this point that we are behind countries like Estonia in terms of uh, internet access speeds. You know, you, you get those mailers from Charter and other companies promising high-speed internet. We don't actually have high-speed internet in the United States. Where we are now would be like having, uh, you know, a 14-4-baud uh, modem uh, relative to the rest of the world. Uh, we're actually lagging further and further behind year after year, and a lot of that is because the cable companies that are our primary service providers, they don't really have enough competition that would push them to increase service through uh, infrastructure upgrades. Now, let me say, Brendan, I feel like on this show, for whatever reason, our libertarian tendencies frequently come out. Sure. And this is basically a libertarian podcast. <laughs> but I think that this is an area where there's a strong argument to be made for doing for creating a municipal broadband 
system yeah. because it is basically a monopoly mm-hmm. or it's a duopoly where you could get bad internet from the phone company or kind of less bad internet from a terrible, terrible cable company mm-hmm. like Charter or Comcast. People would say, you know, like, you know, government is going to give you like worse service, worse whatever than these guys. Yeah. Compared to Charter and Comcast, no, no, these people are terrible. They really are. They're not very yeah. good. No, it, and that's it. And, and I think that one of the biggest problems, and even though that the the internet has not really been lab- treated like a common carrier or a public utility in the uh, legal sense, I think most people view it that way at this point. Uh, maybe not so much cable, but definitely internet mm-hmm. access. I mean, it's like you know, if, if there's a, a storm and you have a power outage that also includes internet access. I'm going to guess that Charter gets just as many phone calls in Worcester as NSTAR or National Grid or, you know, any of the, the power providers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. People do view it as, as a public utility. And I think that it's in the public interest for the municipal, the government itself, to actually look at uh, those services being provided. And if the private sector isn't doing the job that they promised to do or has the consumer's best interests at heart, if where possible, it kind of is their job to step in and take over those services themselves, which is why years ago we got into a big fight in this country over the municipal delivery of power services. Uh, you had privates that weren't actually living up to their obligations, so the federal government made it possible for municipalities to step in and provide those services themselves. And we do have a lot of communities that do uh, you know, contract out their own power services, uh, just like Internet and, and cable companies, and a lot of them seem to be very happy with it. So what is it that... What is it- <clears throat> I mean, if everybody if everybody on the Worcester City Council tomorrow said, you know what, municipal broadband sounds like a really good idea, yeah. let's pursue it, what is the first thing that's keeping them from pursuing it? There really wouldn't be anything that would be keeping them from pursuing it. There's just, no legal restrictions? There's no. Not currently, no. I mean, that's interesting, though, because there are a lot of fights happening on both the state and federal level, uh, mostly uh, pushed by companies like Comcast to make that sort of project illegal. Um, for the simple reason that when a, a municipality does this, like Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, Comcast, they lose money, and they don't like losing money because they're a corporation. But they're losing money to a uh, competitor that's providing a better service at a better cost. That tends to be exactly how capitalism functions. Um, so, so if this Worcester City Council came out this week and was like, "Let's really pursue this," the first thing that would happen actually is that the state legislature would immediately pass a law making it illegal, <laughs> and then our first battle would be to get around that law. That actually wouldn't be shocking to see a lot of lobbyists move into play very, very quickly in the state uh, to start stopping that to, to, to stop that from happening we haven't seen it in the past when it comes to municipal cable services but those speeds are really only competing with uh, charter and Comcast on their own playing field they're not out in most cases they're not offering uh, true high-speed internet access in the form of gigabit fiber or whatnot. so, so Chattanooga is an interesting example because it because it, they're about the same size as, as they're us about 170,000 so okay. I mean give or take and so what, what are the, uh, how did it go for them? It was a long process, starting with a feasibility study, and, and they, they actually took a very interesting approach where they didn't bring in a bunch of outside consultants and contractors to do the work for them and then just hand them the keys to the car and say, no, you run it. They really did everything on their own uh, with the intent that they were going to use that to, as an economic engine to build up an IT sector that previously wasn't very strong, uh, knowing full well that having gigabit fiber was the sort of thing that was going to draw young entrepreneurs uh, and companies into the city uh, just to have access to that kind of bandwidth. Right. So, so then, so in this case, you might have this thing where it would be like, well, I'm thinking about starting, you know, I'm thinking about living in central Massachusetts or whatever, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking about trying to do some kind of company, and why should I live in Shrewsbury versus Worcester? And the answer might very well be because Worcester has completely sweet 
internet access. Which, if you're the kind of person who just uses the internet to check your email or whatnot, that might sound completely Looney Tunes, but I assure you it's something that's actually very meaningful to a lot of people. It, it's, it's the very reason. meaningful. It's very meaningful to me. Yeah, well, I know, but it's but it's not to discount the, the fact that there are a lot of people, especially in Worcester, I'm sure, who, who don't make full use of the internet. It's probably because our services really aren't that strong. Um, if you, again, bring up Boston, I feel like I'm pitching them more than anything today. Boston has been, uh, Mayor Walsh in Boston has been having some conversations about municipal fiber for just that reason. There are so many of the sort of co-working spaces and um, entrepreneurial sort of, uh, um, throw a word at me here, uh, sort of group. Uh, set, uh, sure, well, whatever. Co- business, we'll call them co-working business, spaces. Business there's a lot of incubators uh, yeah. that are there in the IT sector. This is one of the things that they're all screaming for, right? I mean, if you even if you have a corporate, uh, you know, Comcast line coming in for uh, broadband, you still got to find a million ways to split that up to all the people who, who are functioning there. If you bring in a gigabit fiber line, uh, suddenly you don't really have to worry about bandwidth, and you're not reaching out to larger companies like Level Three or whatnot to provide, you know, direct access. That's going to cost you a fortune. You can do this on a municipal level or with third-party uh, vendors, right? I mean, it was years ago, uh, a few of us in the city were pushing really hard to try and uh, lure Google into the city when they were starting their municipal fiber project. We weren't super successful with that, obviously, but it was a good walkthrough in the idea of getting people interested in, in Worcester, and people actually seemed interested, including the council, who put together you know, a, a little video and whatnot in a... I believe it was a poem under uh, Mayor Joe O'Brien's uh, uh, term uh, that they all recited together as part of the pitch to, to, to lure Google, Google in here. Well, Brenda, we've got about 45 seconds left on this week's Well, I'll show. just say goodbye then. Let's try. To, let's actually think about it, looking at a feasibility study to bring some high-speed internet to Worcester. It'd be pretty awesome, and I think it'd make us really competitive in the region. So, the city council's move would be to ask for this feasibility study. I think that's a place to start, especially if, if you know if we're going to work within the constraints of a planning form of government. Yeah, I think that's what we need to do. Make it happen. People, this is the 508 Show. I'm Michael Benedetti, Brendan Malikin. We're out of time for this week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.